Welcome to Knit British, the podcast that explores all the connections of Britishness in wool, fibre and knitting. On this journey, meeting all of the people involved, from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Knit British and love local wool. Knit British is delighted to be sponsored by the Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Edinburgh Yarn Festival is the UK's premier knitting event and it runs from the 9th to the 12th of March. Created by and aimed at those who love yarn, it features workshops from world-class tutors such as Bristol Ivy, Nancy Marchant, Willie Wormhead, Felix Ford, with a yarn-packed marketplace full of hand-picked vendors, with meetups, demos, and the Blacker Yarns podcast lounge, the Edinburgh Yarn Festival is truly a haven and an important date on every yarn lover's calendar. To buy tickets and for more information, click on the logo in the show notes or visit www.edinyarnfest.com. Hello and welcome into episode 75 of the podcast. I hope you have grabbed a whip. I have. I am knitting a Ricky hat, totally deviating from my Blacker Podcal knitting uh, for a little while. And I hope you've grabbed a drink because this is a bit of a jam-packed episode. I have two interviews today for you that I've been looking forward to bringing you for a wee while now. The first one is from Julie from Black Eye Yarns. Uh, you might remember at the end of the last episode, I had interviewed her before Christmas and uh, there was a few gremlins in the recording. We re-recorded last week and Julie is going to be talking about why she st- decided to start a yarn business and why local is just so incredibly important to her vision for that and also I've got a chat with Joy and Bobby from The Knitting Goddess. You might remember that I went to visit Joy and Bobby uh, last October and I was talking to them about the creation of the Yorkshire yarn which was another British wool that Joy had a real vision in creating and wanted to make something that really spoke of Yorkshire and of the local sheep and land and I spoke to them and uh, at that chat was Claire Tunney who is the shepherdess of the Four Ways Dorset flock which makes up half the fibre content of Joy's Two Flocks yarn. And we also we also talk about um, the flock and of Claire's involvement with the flock and there's a really wonderful story there. Again, connecting yarn to the sheep and the people and the landscape. Before that though, let's have a quick look at some other news. take a moment to praise a piece of knitwear that's done an incredible job for women's rights and empowers wearers everywhere. Let's say a gigantic hurrah for the pussy hat and each and every woman who made and wore one and made multiple ones to hand out to people who didn't have one or couldn't knit. Hopefully who will knit after this. Um, <laughs> It's This is just another prime opportunity to show the world that knitting is not a cosy hobby. It has power, it has meaning, it is politicised, or it can be. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this um, today, but I just want to say that I feel like the Pussy Hat is an incredible, strong icon and one 
that is going to be so for for generations to come and it's not the end of the pussy hat and I haven't made one and like my good friend uh, Lacey to my cagney uh, Louise Hunt on on Twitter this week said she's going to make one lots of people actually who didn't get a chance to make one before the marches or couldn't take part in the marches who are now wanting to make ones because they feel that there will be more opportunities to wear this hat and be empowered and make a stand wearing this hat and as Louise Hunt said it's a conversation starter too if you're not a pink yarn fan <laughs> this is maybe the only opportunity you can ever say I need to buy pink yarn uh, <laughs> more power to our needles and wishing so hard for all the positive change that that can bring More fabulous things. <laughs> Edinburgh Yarn Festival Rule Tribe magazine is out now. You heard me talking about it here last time and how I couldn't say much, but I hope you you all could understand where I was coming from now with what I was saying about the incredibly stunning aesthetic and just quality of this magazine and the fantastic designs. It's wonderful to watch on social media and see rural tribes landing on doorsteps and everyone just enjoying the magazine so much. And you can own this beautiful publication yourself now if you hop on over to www.edinyarnfest.com and click on the rural tribe menu option. I love each of the six designs. They're incredible. There's the Traquair Hat and Mitts by the lovely, lovely Amanda B. Collins, who is in New Zealand at the moment. I can't believe she's not going to be at Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Come back, we miss you. There's the the uh, Gladsmuir Crochet Cushion by Jane Crowfoot. There's the epically gorgeous Ormiston Shawl by Francesca Hughes in Little Grey Sheep Yarn. There's Claire Devine's McMerry Socks in The Knitting Goddess Brit Sock which I have a skein of. I should cast them on, shouldn't I? Then there's Rennie Callahan's Bellside Shawl in Kettle Yarn, Company Yarn. And then there's Donna Smith's gorgeous colourwork cowl in uh, Uridale Double Knit. Just something for everyone. Lace, colourwork. Oh, just really, really fantastic how... I don't know if they... If, if Joe and Mika had a specific mood board for this issue or, or or what but all of these designs just gorgeous and I could you know you could knit all of them and wear all of them they would be fantastic um it's a brilliant publication I said it all last week it costs 10 pounds plus whatever your shipping is and uh, you can buy it now and it's just lovely all if you need any more convincing have a look at the hashtag wool tribe and and see those incredible magazines landed on doorsteps of people who either can't come to Edinburgh Yarn Festival and want their own little piece of of it for themselves or who are coming and it's ramping up their excitement. It's wonderful. Get your wool tribe now. Of course, we cast on for the Blacker Podcal uh, last week and it's fantastic to see what everyone is knitting and all the different Blacker yarns that people are using. I have cast on the Sanus Hap shawl by Gudrun Johnson. It was gifted to me by Varia in the November pattern swap and I'm using Tamar in the Ottery colourway, which I actually won in the raffle at Jolie's Retreat last year. But I do have another skein of it. It's slightly darker. But because the Santa, the Santa shawl has sort of garter sections and lace sections in the border, I thought I might alternate between the two. Not that it's noticeable, really, but um, it just might. For anyone who might notice it, <laughs> it might look good with that kind of variation. So much to see. If you if you haven't had a look at the Blacker Podcast hashtag or you um, need a bit of encouragement to start, pop on over to the Blacker Yarns group on Ravelry and see what we're all doing. And there are some fantastic um, little pattern discounts and incentives from some very generous designers to get you knitting in this 
Uh, let me tell you what those are, because it would be handy if I had that information to hand, wouldn't it? At the top of the thread, I've I've um, put a little link to 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 the discounts. There's a shawl pattern by Yana Hook. Uh, Louise Tilbrook has a discount for the three shawls, which she designed in blacker yarns. There's a discount pattern discount for from Unicorn Trails. And there's a discount code from Thea Coleman when you buy her new hat pattern, London Fog, which has been designed in blacker yarns. So that's all kind of awesome. It's really nice to see uh, teams taking part as well. Whatever you cast on, you can tag your project on Ravelry with Blacker Podcal. You can also say whatever your, your yarn name is, uh, team. So I'm Team Tamar. You know, it's just a little bit of fun. You can tag your projects with that. Um, I'm also on Team Hap. We've got Team Tea. We've got Team Shawl. We've got Team Hat. We've got Team Garment. We've got Team Pure Breeze. Team West Country Tweed. It's all really good fun. And hopefully you can you can join us. There's no time. You don't have to sign up by any time. We just cast on and we're knitting until the 4th of March. So do join in all of the chat, the official chat. Uh, for the Cal is over in the Blacker group. But if you spot that your favourite Ravelry group podcast designer has uh, is hosting their own group chat, then join in with that as well. Um, but yeah, Blacker Podcal is well and truly a goal. So first up, we have Julie Rutter, who has Black Isle Yarns, uh, and there's a website. I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's blackisleyarns.co.uk. Julie uh, got in touch with me last year, actually, to tell me that she was starting Black Isle Yarns, and I actually met her at the Scottish Smallholders Festival back in September where she brought a selection of these incredible yarns. And um, we talked a little bit about the importance of local and the importance of linking your craft back to the land some some way. And Julie is really passionate about that. She's been working really hard to source fleece from around her in the Black Isle and the Highlands. And then working with John and Juliet at the Border Mill, and listeners of this podcast might remember my visit to the Border Mill last year. I'll put a link in the show notes to that, um, to jog your memory. And creating a really, really unique British wool. Again, I talk about this quite a lot, that, and, I, and you'll probably hear me say it in both interviews today, um, that the people who are making big, giant steps in creating special British wool are very much indies and um, small businesses, and we have to celebrate that. Creating really special yarns that you just don't find being spun commercially. Hopefully there'll be more of that. And, and they are limited quantities you know, reliant on each clip and it makes it even more of a special and unique thing. So here is Julie and I and I apologise, there's a little bit of a crackle um, on Julie's uh, side of the conversation which I have managed to kind of quiet as much as possible. This interview is about uh, 25 minutes long so I suggest that you go and get a cup of tea or refresh your drink and get a comfy seat and settle in to hear a little bit more about Black Isle Yarns. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? No, I don't think so. Happy New Year. Year. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your um, background because it's not always been uh, a purveyor of fine local yarns has it 
<laughs> Thank you, Louise. There's, I think there's a lot of factors that have come together and just all fell into place with, with suddenly making sense for me to start trying to produce local yarn. So I'd been knitting for a few years and I knit a little bit as a child. I had um, both my grannies knit, particularly one of them and my mum. She still knits. She's brilliant. But it didn't quite stick when I was a kid. And then I came back to it more recently in the last few years. I stopped working in an out-of-home job about 10 years ago. Um, I've got four kids now and it just made sense not to be going out of the house to work. I just found I needed something else as well as being at home with the kids, which which is brilliant. So I started sewing, which is, again, something I'd done as a child. And I'd done on and off all the way through. I used to hack up old clothes and turn them into new things. I started doing that more and more and really enjoying it. And then I just gradually got into doing a bit of teaching and a bit of um, sewing design and then started reteaching myself to knit and just loving it. Um, And then to jump back to my my background, I grew up on a small holding in East Lothian. We had quite a few sheep and I just, I loved working with the sheep and I loved everything to do with being outside and, and working with the land. And I spent a lot of my time climbing trees and making dens with friends and Um, And that all led on to me going on and and studying ecology and forestry um, and carrying on. I did a bit of um, lambing and so on in university holidays. It was a great way of making money and I just really enjoyed it. And I would go back home and my parents still had sheep at that point and I would help them out in my Easter holidays and so on. Um, And then I went on and worked in forestry. And for me, that was a real way of combining um, trying to manage land really, really well and producing an, an an output that we really need as well which I guess is what good farming does too. If you do it well, you're you're stewarding the countryside and we need wool and we need milk and all the rest of it. And then as I was sewing, particularly in the last couple of years, I started listening to knitting podcasts. I did try listening to sewing podcasts, but they just didn't really appeal the same way. And I was listening to knitting podcasts quite obsessively. And then at the same time thinking, why am I doing this? Why aren't I listening to sewing ones? And I eventually pinned down that it was because of the connection, the much more direct connection that wool and knitting has with where it comes from uh, and the land, whereas sewing and and using fabric, even if it's organic or from a a, a well-managed source, is nearly always going to be imported. It's nearly always going to come from a long way away and, and you don't get the direct contact with where it's come from. So I think that was what, why I suddenly started listening to you and a few other podcasts that I really enjoy. And I also started thinking about natural dyeing and and began doing that just over a year ago and really enjoyed it, but couldn't believe that I couldn't find local wool to dye with. Um, And I really didn't want to use imported wool to use natural dyes on. That just didn't tally together for me at all. So I, I knew that there would be farmers around about who had wool that wasn't being used, possibly not used at all, or if it was used, they were going to be getting very little return for it from my own childhood and just and just listening to your podcast and other people's. I, I, so I I contacted um, a local smallholder who I buy um, a veg box from, Dan and his wife, Rachel. They, they've got a young family and I knew they had got them sheep in addition to their veg that they grow for an organic veg box. And I, and I asked Dan what he did with his fleeces and and he said (laughs) they um they've used some for insulation and they've used some as slug repellent around their polytunnel it is a big polytunnel but (laughs) even so I said well what would you think about me buying some you know and I would I would give you a good return for it and and Dan was was just so pleased to think of it being used properly because his wee flock are gotlands they're not quite pure gotlands they've got a bit of shetland in them but they're beautiful beasts and for him they're an integral part of the the small holding they you know they graze and they they fertilize the soil and he sells the meat and he he sells a few fur skins and so on but he he was really happy to see the fleeces being used and that, that there might be a way that people could get value out of them and that he could get a slightly better return. Um, and it's just been so fun. So I then, then spent the next few weeks and, and months of, of early last year just itching for when they were going to be shearing. Um, and it was so nice going up on the on the last day that they were shearing. Jan, Dan does it by hand, so he did it in dribs and drabs over a few weeks. Um, and I went up on the last day with my girls to pick up um, the fleeces and, and they were just clipping the last few and 
oh, it was so special to take away these fleeces and, and know that we could make yarn out of them. You're talking there about, about the connections to the land and the sheep and the craft and being, you know, actually being there to see the parts of the process must be incredible when it's, you, you know, you're, um, you're looking forward to selling it and dying with it and then passing that on to other people just to be part of that process must be incredible. Oh, it's, it's so exciting and it, it feels really special. I just feel really lucky to be to be doing it and, and trying to make it work. Yeah. And it's fantastic for your kids to be able to see that as well, I think, and including them in that process as well. It must just be awesome for them. I think, uh, yeah, I think it is. And actually, I think that it's that's something that I'm really enjoying because I've always been quite conscious that they haven't got quite they spend a lot of time outside and they're really active kids and they understand where their food comes from yeah. and so on but have quite the same connection that I had as a as a child and as things stand at the moment we can't make it work to have sheep or or any stock so it's really nice that they are getting they are making that direct connection in a slightly different way from the one I had as a child and um we live in quite a rural area so a lot of their friends are, are farmers kids anyhow but yeah it's I really like that. And I, for me, it feels really good. And you said there that you're not set up to, to keep in animals at the moment. But do you think that might be something that you, you would consider? <laughs> oh, I would love to. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I really, really would love to. But I'm not very really good at being sensible. We have quite a few pets. And yeah, it's I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to jump into things and, and then think, oh, gosh, where do we have the time? So at the moment, I'm being really sensible for me and <laughs> said no so far um, but one of the ladies I, I've bought fleece from which have just gone down to the border mill um last week actually uh, she she lives in Dornoch and she's an older lady she's absolutely wonderful and I asked her I met her in the summer to have a look at her, her wee flock and and to talk about buying some of her fleeces and I asked her how she started on them um because it it was quite clear her husband wasn't really involved. He's, he's a, a lovely guy, but he didn't seem to be helping out Sally with the sheep much. And I think she's into her 70s. Um, and she said, well, I, she has four kids. And I think at some point when they were maybe in their teens, she just decided she wanted to have sheep. And so she spoke to local landowners, persuaded them to let her uh, lease land and bought a flock and then told her <laughs> husband. <laughs> it just really appealed to me. Peter's obviously been so supportive and just let her get on with it, but I, I, I quite like brilliant. that approach. I love that. Good for her. So you said there about that um, initially when you first started doing um, thinking about this, it was uh, it was Gotland, but you've got quite a few other um, fleeces and blends. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the fleece and the different breeds that have gone into the yarn? Yeah. Um, so first up. I approached um, Dan and Rachel and, and we agreed that I'd buy um, their Gotland fleeces um, and they're lovely. And I, I should maybe say that I've been using the border mill. I, I looked yeah. into which mills I could use and, and the border mill seemed like an absolute perfect fit. They're Scottish, which reduces mileage a bit, which yeah. is really good. Although that wasn't really, a, that was a factor, but not a, not a main factor. Um, but they're very flexible and they're small and they're lovely to work with. So... So, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm using the border mill. They're based in Duns in the borders, which is actually not far from my parents. So some of the journeys for getting fleeces backwards and forwards is made, are made on journeys that would be done anyway, yeah. visiting family, which I quite like. Um, so the Gotland fleeces we kept as they were. So, so I'm talking now about the batch that went to the mill last summer and I've called autumn 2016. Um, and once they were washed and cleaned, Juliet and I talked about it and we split them into five different colours, which I think is probably a wee bit more than you would normally get with Gotland. So it went from a dark grey right down to what we've called a, a white, which is a creamy white. Um, and because that's, I think that's because of the Shetland in them. So they've just got a slightly wider yeah. colour range. And it's the white that I've been naturally dyeing. And I also, at some point last spring, I, I realised that an old forestry colleague of mine um, lives in Bewley, which is, which is just off the edge of the Black Isle. And he has a herd of or flock of pedigree swarbles. They show them their their award winning at the Black Isle show and the Highland show and so on. So they're a really um, special flock. And he shears his swarbles, the youngsters, some of them, the best ones in the winter. 
um, so that they're ready for the upcoming show season. So you basically got lambswool or, or shearlingwool, um, which really which appealed to me because I, I thought it would would give slightly softer qualities than was typical for normal swarbles, and you got really dark colour. Um, so I think Jim and Linda have been frustrated that they couldn't get much of a return for their fleeces and hadn't sent off last year the the um, the winter fifteen sixteen shear of the shearlings um so i was able to get hold of them for the summer spinning as well and there was a wee bit of it so i i don't don't know why just in talking with Ju- juliet and john we decided that it would be quite fun and interesting to to have some spun as pure swarbles of the beautiful dark color and then see if we could pick up different properties by by creating some blends as well so the, the first one I think that occurred to me was alpaca because John and Juliet have their own flock of alpaca and they set up originally as alpaca spinner. Yeah. Um, so we spun some with alpaca. Um, it was a fawn-coloured alpaca, so it's come out a real sort of toffee fudge colour. It's a really pretty colour. Um, and it's very squishy and bouncy and airy and, and really quite soft. And then we thought about cheviot. I knew I could get hold of cheviot around here easily. There's loads of North Country cheviot roundabout. And it's... I think something you said to me, it's just such a Scottish breed. And I guess that was at the back of my mind. So I, I have a local friend who from university who um, has a huge flock. They're, they're fairly commercial sheep farmers, but they have a few pedigree um, or pure cheviots. So Linda set aside some of her cheviot fleece for me. And we blend that with some of the, and that was 45% cheviot, 55% Gotland. That's really lovely, rusticky grey. It's um, gorgeous. Yeah, that's the one that you've got. And One of the things that I particularly love myself is how each of the breeds that you find in the UK are so unique and so characterful. And then you put them together like this and they just, it's just such a delight because I think when you use purebred British wool, pure breed, then you kind of, it's always a journey of discovery because everything is so different. But these two together are just incredible. And cheviot is so dense and, and hard wearing. And then the warbles, as you say, can be really quite characterful. I've been crocheting with that. I just love the te- the texture of it. Um, it's, it's really a very unique yarn. I, I've said this before, I think, on the podcast that I love that there are people who are doing things with with British wool that you you know you don't find anywhere. It's it's unique to them. It's a unique blend, and this is definitely one of them. It's incredible. Oh, that's that's so nice to hear, and it, it's just oh, it's nice to hear that those thoughts on something which which just felt like a good idea yeah. at the time. And the gut feeling was that it might be it might work out as a as a as a good blend. And so, and somehow it seems to be. I don't know if it's always the case, but somehow. Combining different blends, combining different characters of different fleeces often somehow seems to bring out the best of both. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that, especially in the way that it's spun, I think, as well. And Cheviot is already quite an underrated and underused British breed rule. It's, if it's in yarns, it tends not to be written on the label because traditionally it's been a carpet rule. But it's fantastic. It's so woolly. It's so dense. It's fantastic for hardware-in knits and for you know brilliant for socks and things like that and Zvorbles is just um, an incredible fibre and yeah together they're just they're really lovely and it's the kind of thing that if somebody comes to me and says tell me what is a really good blend or a really good that is indicative of of a, a good long wearing wool but something that's got character it's something like this because as I say you don't get it anywhere else and it's it's just best of both worlds, really, with those two things. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I think that is really nice to hear you say that too. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. also blending it with alpaca, again, that's absolutely incredible because you have the more um, textured absorbable and then you have the incredibly soft, shiny alpaca. And alpaca, you know, it doesn't have a lot of memory, so putting it together with something bouncy, it's, it's, it's brilliant. And I think, you know, working with John and... And Julia, you know, you're really working with people who, when I met them and spent time at the, at the mill, they just seemed to really care about every single stage of the process. And every new commission is, 
you know, they give it, give each one the same attention, I think, and they look at it, you know, at every stage and go, is this working? And I'm sure you had that. I'm sure they were telling you what kind of returns it was getting and, and things yeah, like that. They, oh, they were absolutely, sorry, interrupting there. They were just so good about that. And got a breakdown at the end of explaining everything. And then we chat, I, I called up to just chat over a couple of queries and they know exactly you know the answer to why this one had a slightly lower return than that one and what we can maybe do in the future to change things or improve things and the the way they came over on your uh on your visit on the podcast was just that that's as as they are from my dealings with them they really are just so they're really passionate and really helpful and they want to make it work um so it's so nice to deal with them and i'm Still, I'm on the hunt. I don't want to grow too quickly, but I, I, I'm on the hunt for new, interesting um, flocks to to work with and, and new, interesting breeds. And when I when I have a, a wee an idea or a thought, I'll I'll just quickly get in touch and they'll come back with, oh, we could try this with that, and or I'll make a suggestion and they'll say, okay, yeah, but maybe we could do it slightly differently. And and it's just so rewarding. That's br- that's brilliant, and that's you know how it should be, and we we should have more of this going on in in the British wool industry, really. That that somebody with a vision like you, you know what's available, you know what you want to create. You're working from the farm up, you're working with the mill, and you're all working together essentially to create this this thing that has such a story behind it, and people will be then crafting with it with this all knowledge of where it's come from and who's been involved along the way we, you know we need more of that oh, it would be so nice to think that there were there were other people um like john and juliet who who, who would set up a, a small mill because i'm sure yeah i'm sure there's capacity yeah. for more people to be doing similar things to them and and that would just be so so nice to see your shop has uh, recently been up and running at blackallyarns.co.uk how's that been going Have there is no Gotland left. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Gotland's gone. The Swarbles alpaca, sorry, the Swarbles mohair went before it got online, I think. I don't think that ever got online. I think only one shade of Gotland got online. Um, the the Swarbles chivy is all gone. Um, so there's just a, a handful of pure Swarbles and Swarbles alpaca left. That's incredible. Yeah, so, and I've got a little bit still of um, the white Gotland here, which I've deliberately kept back, and I'm just going to pop that on every now and then as little releases. I've got um, a five-gradient set of indigo-dyed <gasps> gradient, which I'll I'll be popping on fairly soon. Um, so I had really a lot of fun doing that and yes. setting up my first dye that. Uh, so there'll be a few more naturally dyed colours coming up over the next few weeks and then the next batch should be out mid-May uh, no mid-March. That is exciting. It's totally different wolves for the next one. Can you give any sneaky peeks about about what those are? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, why not? Um, so so I obviously have to wait till the next clip for the Zorbles and the Gotland again um, and it'll be at, I've got some other, other things that are booked for, for the sort of spring-summer 2017 clip um, and but I've managed to to find some really nice fleeces over the autumn and winter, which are what's just gone down to the mill just now. Um, so there's some Shetland in there, and there's some more Cheviot, and there's a couple of really really lovely crosses. Um, so the the sheep the use themselves are crosses, and and well when I took them out and showed them to Juliet when we were unloading the car, she she was quite excited, which I was so pleased about because I thought that they we're going to be really interesting. So let's hope they are once they're all washed and, and we work out how we want to spin them. Um, so as a, I won't let you know what the, the crosses are because it'd be quite fun to keep that quiet, but the, the called Frankenstein and monkey face. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've never anything else. I can't, can't resist buying a fleece from, from using no. those names. <laughs> Excellent. And are you going to be doing any events yeah so the timing of this spinning um was to to fall in with me going to the Dorna fiber fest because i i i wanted to book to be able to go but i i had a suspicion i might not have enough fleece left from the autumn um spin so i i contacted john and julia and asked if it would be possible to have another batch spun by march and so so yes i can um so 18th 19th of march i'll be in Dorna, which i think is quite a little local show but i'm, I'm really looking forward to going I've been asked to give through Sally, the the lady I was chatting about from Dornoch, um, 
who has she has Shetlands, and she's asked me to talk the day before to the Shetland Sheep Society, which is somewhat scary. So I might come back to to you or through Instagram and, and get people to, to make suggestions if there's any questions they want me to ask the Shetland sheep owners up here in the Highlands. Um, it just occurred to me I, I'm I'll probably ask for some suggestions of what they want me to put over, but it might be interesting if there's anything that I could ask the the, the flock owners of that anyone um, out there might might want replies about. See, that would be brilliant. I'm sure people would lo- love to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, I know I would I would if I was in the, that position. So I, it just occurred to me that other people might be interested. Uh, yeah, so and then, oh, just before that, or is it just after? I'm going down to Edinburgh Yarn Festival anyhow, so that's my first time, but not um, exhibiting, just just coming along. I'm really looking forward to that. That's brilliant. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I, I didn't know that you were coming to Edinburgh Yarn Festival. That's excellent. Yeah, no, so I've managed to wangle childcare for the Thursday Friday, so I'll be down for that. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to just finding out what all the hype's about. I'm, I'm, I know it's justified hype, but I'm really looking forward to to just taking part in it and hopefully absorbing a bit of it and and then thinking about possibly going the year after um, and or applying to go at least. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going down to uh, Edinburgh then. And then I've just booked also to go to the Dingwall Highland Wool and Textiles Festival. And it's on the 27th yeah. of May, so that'll be really good. It's in the Mart, which I went up to it last year. And it's, a, yeah, it's a great, it's, it's, it's just quite fun being in the Mart. It's a big mart, that one. I think it serves pretty much all of the Highlands. And, and then the final one that I'm certainly committed to this year, I, I don't think I'll take on any, on any others, we'll see, um, is the 13th to 15th of October, which is Loch Ness Knit Fest. You vended there last year, didn't you? I did. I went along in their craft market rather than their main market. And for me, it worked out really well. And it was also, I'd only just had the wool spun. So it was really useful for me just to chat to people as much as anything else. Yeah. So that's a lot of exciting Black Isle Yarns things that are already planned at this very early stage of the new year. What about, are there other fleeces that you have on your radar? Are there other breeds that you'd like to see in your yarns oh there are um, and there was there was one I, I i came across a wee flock just at the end of last week and i had a quick chat with the owner and she was she was really interested and i very excitedly got in touch with the border mill and they were very interested as well and then, I was I was put in a real dilemma because the, the flock owner came back to me and said, could I give her some more information about having fleeces spun, spun herself? Because oh. uh, she'd suddenly thought thought perhaps she could do it, which, which is fantastic. Yeah. So I, I was really torn. I was so tempted to say, no, I think it's much too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought I really better be helpful. So, so she's now got all the information and been recommended to contact the border mill. So I may not get those ones, which was very disappointing, but... You know, everyone else will get the the will one way or another, hopefully. It's good in a way, because if more smallholders are thinking about their fleece in that way, that, well, maybe maybe I could do something with it. Maybe I'll not use it for insulation. Maybe I'll not bury it or burn it. Maybe there's something else I can do. That's always a good thing. But yeah, that must be so hard when you see these little treasures for yourself and then, oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm now actively hunting out um, some, I don't know whether I'll come across any because they're not particularly common, but I'm I'm actively hunting out some more in the Highland area. And I've got, oh, some really nice um, full wool from another pedigree flock. Um, It's another show flock. So they'll be beautifully clean and, and, and lovely quality um, from a farm which is on the Black Isle. And the the kids are, are schoolmates of my kids and, the, and the, the, the flock is run by the farmer's two, two children as, as their sort of hobby. And, and I guess I guess that's the way of, often young farmers get in, into the business. So, so it'll be it'll be really fun. For, I'm looking forward to being able to, to go along when they're clipping and, and maybe my kids will help out. And then and then the, these two teenagers will get a return for their wool, which will be which will be so nice as well as winning awards at shows and yes, so on. That is brilliant. And then, and then again, also seeing that wool become something that maybe they don't have an in, you know a direct interest in knitting but seeing or or you know crafting with wool but seeing how that you know the the wool from their sheep is valued in a totally different kind of a way um and and you know again it's about those connections isn't it to yeah. where it's come yeah. from and where it where it's going to go 
and and it may mean if you know, if, if one of them ends up taking on the farm or, or farming in a different way they, they may they may think about having a flock with more of a thought to producing quality wool rather than than their, I think their main flock is just a, a typical commercial flock so yeah if they can see that that it's it's there is another outlet there potentially it might it might steer the way the farm goes in the future and um, that's possibly taking a bit of a leap but you never know no that's no I think there's a, a fair learning curve and there's a fair amount of educate educating that goes along with this I think and just people having their eyes opened a little bit I mean like I, I guess like your eyes were opened yourself when when you realized you know you wanted to connect more with that side of things and you have now been seeing all of these sheep <laughs> on your radar you know and uh, I think it does there's, it's a big there's a big learning curve with wool isn't it yeah and it's just such a fascinating product it's just yeah we i i can just see myself getting more and more and more drawn into just valuing the, the properties and and learning more about the different properties from different breeds and how they work well together and so on yeah i i, I don't think you could ever get bored no it's such a delightful rabbit hole yeah <laughs> it really is it's the rabbit hole you really don't mind falling into and at all. discovering no. more about it's just there's always something to learn and there's always something more to find out and you know that that becomes bigger then when you have people telling you what they've made with your yarn and how it was good for this or how, how it was fantastic for weaving or crochet or whatever it just gets bigger the whole time yeah, yeah, which is and it's just so nice learning from other people as well, and and finding out why they got into it and what their interest is, and and they always know something different, and yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, Julie, that's so much for coming on to Knit British to talk about Black Alley Arms, and I maybe even grab you at Edinburgh Yarn Festival and find out more about what was it, Franken Frankenstein and Monkey Face. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Julie. I'm really excited to see what else uh, is coming in that new clip. It's absolutely fantastic that Autumn 2016 clip was snaffled up and uh, quite rightly that there is uh, very little of it left. But do, don't forget that there will be some naturally dyed Gotland, which will be released updates on blackalyarns.co.uk. So the best thing for you to do would be to go to that website and sign up for Julie's newsletter so you know when yarns are going on sale and you are first to hear about the next spin. And next week, I will have a review of the Zorbal Chibiot yarn and a little giveaway. The very last skein of it. Now we have uh, that chat with Joy Bobby and with Claire Tunney, Four Ways Dorsets, talking about creating 100% locally sourced British wool and also talking about the story behind the wool and the story be behind Four Ways Dorsets and the future of the flock is really special I, and I know that you're going to take something away from this and really enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Joy and Claire and Bobby and I having a chat with a cup of tea. This interview previously appeared at November last year. You might have heard it there. But sit back and enjoy. So I thought it would be really good to talk about why you decided that you wanted to do a Yorkshire yarn and how that began. We knew that we wanted to do something... Yorkshire. Really, we've sort of since we've been up here, we we decided that what we wanted was properly British wool. Because I am so fed up of seeing things that are labelled as British, and they're not British. Either they've been shipped halfway around the world, or they've been finished in the UK, and it's really really mad. And it's like every time you get in the car and you go in the beer, I see sheep, <laughs> and it seems really really insane to be driving past these sheep. And then thinking, yeah, well, let's import stuff and have it shipped. And and sheep's fleece isn't light and it's not small. So it takes up a lot of space to move it. And just from an ethical point of view, that seems a bit crazy. You know, if we went shopping, we wouldn't want to buy cane green beans. 
Yeah, that seems like a bit of a, a you know, having stuff that is flown halfway around the world is just, it's such a waste of resources. And especially when there were all these sheep here, it seemed really mad not to try and do something with them. So we'd been pondering that idea and we'd spoken to Blacker Yarns and on the back of that we did the Wensleydale and Shetland blend. But then having started speaking to Lara, we started thinking, well, if we could have something that was even more local to us, it would be amazing. And then Claire emailed me and said, do you want some sheep? Well, not do you want some sheep. <laughs> do you want some <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think if you'd emailed me now, I might have got, do you want some <laughs> But do you want some fleece? So we thought, well, we'll go, you know, we'll go and have a look. And we, we went over one afternoon and it was just, it was one of these gloriously sunny days. Oh, and yeah, beautiful. Yeah, met Claire and her mum, and met the sheep, and then walked up and met the other sheep, and it was just, it just felt like an incredibly right thing to do. Um, And speaking to Claire about the whole history of the flock is amazing, and how it was started by her dad, and I remember their mum telling me that she was actually pregnant with Claire when Mm -hmm. they went to see the first sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And then after Claire's dad died, Claire actually agreed to take the flock on, which is a madly brave thing to do. Slightly mental, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed when I thinking she's completely mental. No, it's I, I just don't think I'm mental. It's an amazing thing to do, and you would have been so proud of you. You really would. Um, I think it really stood out when we came to visit how how much you cared about your sheep, how, how you looked after them. Oh, they've got names. <laughs> how, how much you'd improved them as well over Yeah, I think that's the thing about livestock is that you can look after them as best as you can, but there is a sheep, my dad said this to me when he handed them over to me, and he did say, look, the one thing you've got to remember is sheep are there to do one thing, die. <laughs> they will try everything they possibly can to die on you there are so many things that can go wrong and until you've had them as long as i have and this is even i look at them and i think oh missed that and oh how did he get that and you just have no idea and he was up there every day with them uh so so for me taking them and we've just had one with fly strike and i remember sending my other half up as my bump's getting bigger i'm struggling to climb over the gates so I sent my husband up and I said, just check for fly strike. He said, yes, dear. It rang me when he was there and he's like, I think there's one with maggots, but not flies. Yeah, that's fly strike. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't know what we were looking for. But it, once, luckily, he's with some help of the local farmer, he's managed to save it and it's now okay and it's fine and it'll have a nice, lovely fleece and it, it works. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, they, they do try and die on you an awful lot. They really do. Yeah, how did it get its head stuck through their hands? Yes. <laughs> Especially my lot, they're very inquisitive. <laughs> is, it, is it Paul Dorsett's that you have? It is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say what you were doing before uh, <laughs> you had all these Paul Dorsett's? Um, I, I moved back to Harrogate um, November 2014, I think it was. Yeah, just before my little boy was two. Um, my dad was diagnosed with cancer in 2010 and it sort of kept coming and going a little bit and it got to the point when my little boy was nearly two and I thought I've done the baby days on my own in Manchester with our sort of family around and we thought no it's we need to move back we didn't know how many times it was going to come back and one day we knew it was going to get my dad we didn't know when so we thought well we'll make the move back and I've grown up with the flock the flock's older than I am um but yeah, I went from being a, a project manager and an operations manager to being a stay-at-home mum, to being a sheep farmer, a stay-at-home mum, and the only thing I'd ever done was show the sheep. I'd wash them in fairy liquid <laughs> for one weekend a year. Um, I had Other put brands on... are available. Yes. <laughs> I will probably be cursed for saying fairy liquid because apparently it does something to the lanolin that isn't ideal. So yes, other brands are available. Um, but yeah, it was good fun. It, I did it for one weekend a year and I had a great time doing it. It was my weekend with my dad. It was always near Dale show weekend, which was Pately show towards locals around here. And it was a great thing. And I put on a white coat and held a little halter and made it walk in a circle. And that was it. That was my job done for the year. But as it happened, when I came up, um, my little boy was so in love with his granddad. 
and so in love with the sheep that we went up a lot and I got to see a lot more about what my dad actually did with them. And I quite liked it. It was it was fun, it was enjoyable. Um, so when it actually came to, I think my mum and dad went on holiday in the March. Um, they went to Landudno for a week and my dad was a bit, oh my God, I'm leaving my sheep for a whole week and I'm leaving them with her. And she's not done a whole lot with them, what's going to happen? Uh, but they survived for the week. Um, it snowed while they were away in London. No, and they were happy and sunny and we were all freezing cold, but it worked. And I thought, I actually quite like this. And my little boy adored it. And we just thought, well, let's just keep playing with them and see what happened. But then my dad's cancer came back and it came back very, very quickly. Within six weeks of diagnosis, he was he had unfortunately died. Um, and at the time, it's like... I, this is what this is what I went through with my sheep, and he said, "Sell that to them. Give that person back that bit, because Yorkshire farmers bargain." <laughs> so there was a lot of bargaining with sheep. It's like, well, that that person owes me a lot of favors, so you can call on them for help, and I owe that person a lot of favors, so give them a sheep. <laughs> so, and I just looked at him and I said, "Dad, I think I'm going to keep them." And he went, "Are you sure?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to have a go." And he made me promise that if it ever got too much, that I'd get rid of them. Not only for us, but for the sheep. Mm. It's not fair to livestock. If you can't look after them, you shouldn't have them. Yeah, It's that simple. But yeah, he um, he made me promise that. And then he started saying, right, well, this is what you do to register them. And this is what you do when you, you need to call the knacker man. When one's beyond help, and he says, you call the knacker man. And he comes and does this. And you do that. You do this. And he's like, if you keep this one, keep, keep that one. He says, don't keep that one. Don't keep that one at Ed Butts. Don't keep that one. Don't keep that one. He's like, but make sure you keep this one. That one comes and leans on me leg, but you can get rid of it. And I've still got it. <laughs> um, curse me if you knew I still had that sheep. Um, it's very old. It needs to go. It needs to go. But uh, I can't quite bring myself to do it yet. Is that the one that's got a name? No, it's her daughter that has a name. Oh, I right. call her Nibbles. Nibbles she, since she was a tiny, tiny thing, she's always nibbled at my welly or my coat or anything. But yeah, she's Nibbles. Nibbles will stay with me till her very last day, I think. I don't think I'll ever have anything to, well, bad to say about her. Well, that's what should be called Niblets. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, then he kind of said, well, you need to keep this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one for at least another few weeks. And I said, why? He said, well, they're pregnant. What? <laughs> I said, Lammy, I've never done that in my life. And he's like, be fine. He says, just ring somebody. And I said, oh my God. And you hear all these horror stories of prolapses. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, be fine, just ring somebody. And I thought, right, I need to sort this out. And we got the scanner man in and he scanned them all. So we had a rough idea of who was due when. Luckily, with how many, I rang one of my dad's friends, a lad he'd grown up with that keeps a um, different breed of sheep just up near Dacre. And I said, uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Can you give me sort of a crash course? And he says, bring them up here. My dad had rented some fields up there. And he says, if you bring them up there, they're back onto my fields. I'll check them every day for you. I said, oh, thank you. And at this point, I'd sold some as well. So he was a, a rookie like me, um, a young lad who wanted to start out. So he bought some. And we divvied them up. I kept the best breeders. And I thought, right, I'll get some good gimmers out of this. And I'll get maybe a couple of tubs I can send to the butcher. No, he got all the nice gimmers. I got all the tubs. <laughs> got nothing to go forward with. But I kept the best breeding sheep, which is what I wanted. Um, but no, it was good. We got them all. I managed to lamb one myself, which I was very proud about. I bragged for days about that. <laughs> Absolutely days and days. Uh, but yeah, it was good. It was uh, it was just nice to see them, and Zach loved it as well. My little boy, he absolutely adored it. He got to watch these lambs, and the in the January they'd lambed before because Dorsets can lamb more than most sheep. I think it's um, I need to quote the numbers now, but I think they can do something like three cycles in two years or something oh, like that. Oh. Um, which is, they're very popular for that because they can. There's a lot more turnover. Um, which is why my dad liked them as well he could do it basically when he wanted he could fit it in around what else was going on in, in his life so it, it worked really well for us um, but yeah they landed in the January before and we've got a little, a little video clip of my little boy going around this shed in the January 
and he'd found this lamb and he couldn't keep he couldn't keep hold of it so he just grabbed its tail <laughs> and of course of course we we ring ours we ring our tails so they eventually fall off which stops a whole load of issues later in life but yeah he went hold and grabbed this tail and we were just waiting for this tail to fall off as he was <laughs> sat and dragged around this barn but luckily it never did <laughs> what are they like do they need looking to you or are they like shetlands can you just leave them to get on with it dorsets are very good mothers they're very, very good mothers. That's the one thing they are always advertised as, is very good mothers. Um, we left ours, the ours landed in the October, September, October, and we just left them in the fields. It was absolutely fine. My dad only ever brought them in if there was likely to be frost or snow on the ground. Um, but yeah, they were fine. They, we, you can have issues, you can have prolapses, but I think I've only known that happened once or twice. They're very, very easy. And you've just got to, as we learned the hard way, you've just got to watch how you look after the mothers because obviously it's the same with us and like me now if you eat too much you get a bigger baby and you get a bigger baby you get more complications mm. so we kind of went a bit ott on oh they're eating for two <laughs> no that doesn't apply to sheep like it doesn't apply to humans um, but no they were all really good lambs all really good lambs and so did your dad used to just sell the to marketing board Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. He started selling it direct to the marketing board, and then we found a third party that then sent it off, which was just a tradition for him. It wasn't a money maker. It used to be, it very much used to be, but it wasn't a money maker. Um, so it was a case of I just need a shot of it, and it we broke even. Mm. I think uh, we did shearing just before my dad died, and he he gave me how much it would be. And that's exactly how much it was. And then I took the fleece up and I got it exactly that back. Mm. And I thought, bloody hell. <laughs> it needs, it needs mm. doing. They yeah. have to be done. Um, particularly dorsets, because as you know, the fleece is very thick. It's very dense. But my goodness me, I just thought there's something better here. There's got to be something better. And my dad was all about the local and... He was all about looking after other people and seeing if he can do things and help people. That's what my dad was. So when it came to it this time, and it looked like the price was actually a little bit lower, and I thought, it's going to cost me money. I've, got, I've not got any girls. I've not got any girl lambs. I've, I've, got not, I've not got any new breeders. And I thought, I don't know what to I can't. I can't sustain this. I have to make a little bit of money somehow. So pardon my way of doing it but I sent emails around to quite a few little <laughs> local knitting groups and I thought oh, I'm not going to get anywhere here and I did a bit of a google and I found Joy and I just said interested in a Dorset please thinking she might take one <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, she says, I don't think I'm interested in one she said <laughs> <laughs> these last thing <laughs> you don't you don't want these in your van all day yeah. on a hot day cooking gently and you had already been thinking about about doing seeking out fleece before this yeah. or was it just a happy coincidence we'd been we'd sort of been thinking about doing it we'd mm. spoken to uh, we'd spoken to a couple of mills um but you either, you go through somebody and you use whatever they source for you. Um, and sometimes they will try and source something specific for you. Like Nashville Fibre Company, who are part of Blacker, have mm. done with this. Because really, we said to them, 
well, we started off with, I want something from Yorkshire. And then Lara rashly said to me, oh, I think we can do better than Yorkshire. It's like, right, get on with it. Better be local. The other yarn that's going into it is really, really local as well. It's some a place called Rigmore Reindeers. Um, so they have, it's like a micro farm mm. that they take around different places and they have sheep and they have pygmy goats who look adorable on the website. <laughs> but yeah, it's either that thing that you try and source your own fleece and then it's quite tricky because if you don't know the people, you don't have any idea how good the mm. fleece is. Yeah. And with Claire's, we went out and we were literally able to get our hands into the fleece and you could see... You know, I mean, the polar are gorgeous. They're mm. just like the best sheepskin rug in the world, really. <laughs> they are. They're just so. It's like is there a sheep underneath here? There's just so much wool on them. Um, but you could see from the fleece that there were no. You know, when you tugged it, there were no breaks in it, and you could see. Mm. Well, that you could. You, you could tell from that that the sheep have been well treated all the way through. Mm. Because if anything happens, it stresses and upsets them. Oh yeah. You get breaks you in. Mm-hmm. You see it. No. And I remember seeing that in a fleece that somebody was trying to prepare at spinning group and they were trying to carve it and this thing was literally, it was like watching somebody bleach their hair once too often. Yeah. It literally yeah. just, it shattered. It was quite amazing. It was horrible, but it was quite amazing. Um, but if you're not actually somebody that you can go and look at the fleece yourself, you really are buying the complete unknown. Which is why for this time round... Mm. It's been great to get stuff in Claire's fleece, and it's been lovely to get to know her while we've been doing all this. It's been really good. I think people want to feel that what they buy actually has a bit of meaning. It's not just yeah. some product that it's not could just be... any other shape on any other farm in anywhere in the country, anywhere in Europe, anywhere in the world. No, yeah, that's it. And it's lovely to think we actually know where the two the two farms are and the two flocks are that went into this yarn, and it means we kind of. You know, there's a whole back history to it. You know, it's not quite it's not quite that thing of like you go out for the meal and they tell you, you know, which cow your steak came from. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a real level of accountability with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and is. I like that rather than it just being, yeah, we bought a pile of stuff via the roll board. Mm. You know, and there can be anything in there. You don't know how well sheep have been treated. You don't know how well people have been paid. And it seemed a really good chance to actually do something and make sure that everybody, every single step of this process, made the best money possible out of it. So it meant we could say to Blacker, what's you know, what's the price you would pay for this? Mm. And whatever they said was their sort of, this is what we paid for the absolutely top quality fleece. We'd a, we'd a guess, didn't we, about how we much did. fleece we think yeah. we thought we'd, we had. But rather than sort of thinking, well, we're going to quibble about just how good is this fleece, it was like, yeah, that's great, well, you know. We can just pay you that for that, and mm. and then it's gone, and then you didn't have to shift. Well, you had to help me pack it into bags. So <laughs> sorry about that. I've had to do that anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's that, yeah. So you're saying that there's that that you know that lovely you know each step of the the journey. But then there's also the from the crafting side of it. There's more and more emphasis, and we've talked about this before as well, about people who want to buy a special yarn for a special project, and that that has a meaning. Yeah. But also the fact is that it, the yarn has got meaning already because mm. it comes from your dad's flocks and, and story behind it. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. I think a lot of people will want to sort of support that as yeah. well and support and also the fact that it's joy and, and everything she does is just awesome. But did you kind of, is this how the whole process is going? Is how you expected? This is not what I expected. <laughs> it was lightest, <laughs> if I'm honest. I expect, in all honesty, and I think this is my naivety, because I, I didn't appreciate the wants and need for local, and especially in things like wool as well. For me, it was that was always a byproduct. That wasn't it. It was the meat that was the driving force for us. So when I emailed Joy and she says, well, can I come and have a look? I have to admit my first reaction was, what, for one fleece? You are kidding me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my day. <laughs> I thought, crikey, I've got like nearly 60 fleeces to get rid of. And I thought, I can't be doing this 60 times. <laughs> and I thought, well, no, do you know what? Never mind. And I've I've never seen a reaction like Joy's, I have to say. when she, As soon as she walked into the field, she was just a bit like, oh, look at them. And I'm such shocked. She was so excited to get near them. <laughs> Honestly, I expected to be sort of dropping one fleece off at a little back shop in Harrogate that 
teachers knitting I didn't expect <laughs> all of this at all I didn't know it was there but again that's my naivety I've never dealt with it but no it's it's a lovely thing to be able to do and for Joy to kind of grab hold of of something that means so much to me mm-hmm. and charge ahead with it has been amazing and I, I cannot thank, enough, thank her enough for it because my dad would be over the moon with this <laughs> he really would Oh, that's brilliant. That's excellent. I can't wait to see it. I bet you can't wait to see it. I am really excited. I think my frustrating thing at the minute is I want to be able to take something and show my dad because my dad was very much about making things. He, he was he was very much a Del Boy engineer, and he <laughs> he he made tra- He's made two trailers that are still going. So all my trailers that I use, he's made, and he's found bits of scrap this and uh, two tires from an old car, and this, that, and the other. <laughs> And it, it's amazing. He 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 saw something he wanted, and he just made it. He just made his own version of it to see how he wanted it. So to be able to kind of go back to him now and say, "Look, these are your sheep. These are the sheep you gave me, and now look what we've got with it." He would just be over the moon. He would be absolutely over the moon with it. So yeah, I can't wait. I'm gonna have to go knitting with it. <laughs> Get my hands on it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Thank you guys so much for that. Normally I would bring these on two separate episodes, but these two separate interviews, just a portrait of some people who are doing incredible things in the British wool industry, and I do mean industry. There is just so much good work that's going on here in the UK. There are so many people like Joy and Bobby and like Julie working with local farmers, working with local mills and fantastic expertise in yarn making to create a bespoke British breed wool or British blend of wools for us. You know, here I am now sitting knitting with Julie's yarn. Wearing my socks made out of Joy's yarn is an awesome thing. I will be back next week with a review of this uh, wonderful yarn from Julie and a little giveaway. I want to say Thank you so very much to to Julie, to Joy and Bobby from The Knitting Goddess and to Claire from Four Ways Dorsets. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Thank Jeremy so much for being quiet this time. <laughs> and I will be back next week. Until then, take very good care. Bye for now.